when you and I are able to praise God in our storm and it's real, not a facade, it's true, then that will preach a thousand sermons to a lost and dying world. Because people are hurting, they're hungry. Everyone around you, the person in the cubicle next to you, the neighbor lives across the street, and that family member who you're distanced from, there are so many people that are hurting. Shattered, broken lives are everywhere. And they're looking for something. They're searching for something. What will dull my pain? What will fill my void? You and I know his name is Jesus. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Well, let's uh, pray here as we want to quiet our hearts as we open the Word. Uh, go to the Word right now and just seek the Lord and His glory. And so as we do that, just to be still for a moment, Psalm 4610, be still and, and know that I am God. Just be still for a moment. In every distraction, whatever's weighing in on you and me right now, let's just, let's heave it on Jesus. Just heave it on Him. Just throw it on Him right now. He can handle it. Father, we come before You and just reminded so frequently as of late how desperately we need You. And there's nothing we can do apart from You. And oh, how you are reminding us right now in this season of life how, how desperately and direly we need you. So God, I ask, would you speak right now in a powerful way? Just speak. Word of God, speak. Holy Spirit, would you speak right now to every heart, every mind, every soul? Speak to my heart. Speak to my soul and my mind as well. I need to be refreshed, God, today. I need to be encouraged. And so I pray that today, will you do something today that we will be encouraged, that we will be strengthened, but God, I pray that we will also be challenged. I pray that there will be something new today that we hear just from you for our individual lives, God, that we'll, that we'll just know it's from you. It's your still small voice and all the other voices out there that are jockeying for our attention. We we don't hear those. We just hear yours, God. Now, this is the way to walk. Do not turn to the right nor the left, but walk in this way. And so, God, as we open your word, I pray that, that it would go forth with power for your glory, for your praise, all for the fame of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I take that Bible and turn to James, James chapter 1 in this study of James, and I pray that you're enjoying it. Uh, I'm enjoying studying for these messages because James is so practical, isn't it? James is such a practical book. It's, it's a book that is a short, five chapters, but yet it is raw, it's real, it's, it's kind of in your face at times. And, and James sometimes kind of jumps around a bit, but it's so real, it's so necessary in our lives. And here in James chapter 1, we're going to be looking in our primary scripture text there for your notes of Write this down, James 1, 9 through 11. Fill that in if you would. Kind of camp out on those verses. And the sermon title that you'll see there is just simply Trials of Trust. 
Think about that title for a moment as we set the stage and again try to paint this picture of what James is communicating to us, that there are trials that, that need trust, don't they? And that's the whole point of the trial, that we would trust, that we would go God's way even if He doesn't go our way. That when He says yes, we go His way, absolutely. But the real question is, when He says no, where do we go? Who do we turn to? What do we turn to? You know, the reality, and I'm guilty of this, but often the real trial is not the actual trial. Have you ever thought about this? Often the real trial in your life and my life is not the actual trial. The real trial is who or what do we trust in in the midst of the trial. That's where the tug of war happens. That's where our affections go from the Lord often to to something else, that, that we're looking for anything to dull the pain and fill the void and And the Lord's saying, look, I'm here. I'm an ever-present help in time of need. Just cling to me. Hold on to me. Treasure me. Cherish me. Well, I think we're going to see here today from James exactly that concept. So here in James chapter 1, 9 through 11, here's what the Word of God says. And I pray it refreshes your soul and encourages you and challenges you right now as we read it. Here it is, James 1, 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Interesting. Verse 10, but the rich in his humiliation. Hmm. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. Now look at verse 11. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. We read that at face value and you probably read that and go, well, if I have any sort of monetary means, am I in trouble? Well, we're going to unpack this together and I pray we'll see the truth of Scripture for what it is. But I want to make sure we remember the context. And church, you know this. We talk about a phrase often, and I say it often, and that is this, that context is king. Write that down in your notes somewhere. Just write down context is king. Have you ever taken a scripture and you go, boy, I really like that scripture, and uh, it'd be great on a mug or on a t-shirt, and yet we don't understand the actual context of it. We just pulled it out of scripture. Very dangerous. We always want to understand what the context is before and after. And if we again read this at face value, we don't get the context. So what is the context? Well, well, you know, we've been studying this. So James says, hey, I'm James. More importantly, I'm a slave, a willing servant of Jesus, of God. That's who I really am. My name's James, but this is who I really am. Oh, by the way, I'm going to write to you of the dispersion. And yeah, I know you're going through some struggles. You've been dispersed and Had to have been some heartache and pain in that dispersion. And oh, by the way, count it all joy. Don't you love it when someone gives you encouragement and you're going through the struggle and sometimes it is just painful. And James says, look, I want you to count it. Count it. Count it necessary. Deem it necessary that that what God has brought into your life is not an accident. It's not by happenstance, but, but it's for His glory. It's for His glory, it's for your good as He refines you and prunes you. And then all of a sudden, He switches again and says, hey, who needs wisdom? Who needs wisdom? If you need it, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your trial, 
You've got to believe. You can't doubt. You've got to believe. Believe, knowing that the Lord will give it to you, and He will. And then all of a sudden, we get to verse 9. And He says these words in verse 9. By the way, I love as we dig deep into Scripture, and I hope you're seeing what we're doing here, but, but we're going verse by verse, word by word. We're, we're squeezing every drop Every drop out of the text, we're, we're wringing it out like a sponge. Right? We're, we're just wringing it out. What does it say? Almost like we've got a shovel and we're going in there and we're, we're digging and going, hmm, okay, this is what it says. What was the context? What was the intent? How does it apply to us? And we're just, every word, every verse, we're, we're just treasuring the truth of God's Word. In verse 9, he says, Let the lowly brother, that fellow believer, glory in his exaltation. Now again, remember the context. So James is writing to who? Those of the dispersion, the Jews. Could Gentiles have heard the message? Sure. Are we hearing it today? Amen. And he says, look, I want the lowly brother to, to glory. The glory is this exaltation. What's he talking about here? Well, again, if you think about what was going on in that day, that they're dispersed and you can only imagine, you can only imagine what happened in that dispersing. That when you are dispersed, imagine what happens there, that people are scattered. And you're scattered, and imagine what happens when you are scattered. We know from the New Testament and Acts that when they were scattered, that, that the church grew, didn't it? It grew. That's what I love about the persecuted church. Look at China and some of those other countries, what's going on, and they're under heavy persecution and what happens is their faith is a fight. It's not a fashion show that, that their faith is, is something that it's not a playground. It really is a battleground. It's real. It's raw. It's who they are. It's not a sideshow, but it's just who they are internally. Because when you're scattered, what happens is this, that you begin to see a fresh and new, just a fresh and new you see where your trust really is. And that's the whole point of this text that James is saying here that if you're a lowly brother, if you're a rich brother, where's your trust? Where is your trust in trials? Whether you're lowly and don't have a lot, whether you're rich and do have a lot materially, whether you're lowly as far as spiritually, or perhaps you are wealthy spiritually, whether you're up or whether you're down, the reality is this, that we all, every one of us, me and you, we all have a decision to make, and that is this, that in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the difficulty, who or what will you and I trust in? That's the question. But when your back's against the wall, who or what will you trust in? I love this text because when you unpack it, you got to remember that just because the person's lowly, doesn't mean he's not a brother. Again, fellow believers here. So we don't want to look down on those that perhaps don't have means. No, we're brothers in the Lord. We're sisters in the Lord. We don't want a bunch of cliques. Now, this is all about a true koinonia, a true fellowship. That's why we call ourselves here at this church the, the fellowship of encouragement. doesn't matter where you're from. Uh, we want to see you come to know Jesus. Because he will set us all free. As we think through that and process that, again in verse 9, he says, let that lowly brother, that fellow believer, glory in his exaltation. Now, when you see that glory, it's very interesting because that lowly brother, as you unpack that even deeper, in the original language, it gives the connotation, go with me on this for a moment, 
of not being too far off the ground. So the, the picture that we're painting here is the lowly brother is low. Low probably in many respects as they've been dispersed. And as they're low to the ground, then James, it's very interesting to play on words here. He goes, let the one who's low to the ground glory in his exaltation. Let the one who's low, who perhaps is discouraged, doesn't have a lot materially, let him actually glory. Let him boast in. Let him boast in this. Now again, James is not saying to be prideful. That would contradict Scripture. And Scripture always is the best commentary on Scripture. So here he's saying these words. He's saying, look, I want you, that lowly brother, that fellow believer, to glory. To glory. To glory where you are. To to be grateful, to be content in this exaltation. And that word exaltation in the original language means this, the high station of life. Again, it almost sounds confusing, doesn't it? Wait a minute, I thought he was low, not high. How do you glory when you're low? Do you see the point here, church? The point is this, is that whether we are up or whether we're down, our circumstances don't dictate that we glory in the Lord. What happens is this, we simply glory in the Lord because He's worthy of the glory. And we glory not only in the Lord, but when we begin to glory in the Lord, we can boast in our circumstances. Again, not prideful, but we can say this, hey, I don't have a lot, but I'm trusting in God. Hey, he's got me in this difficult season, this trial of life, and and I don't know why he's brought me here, and I don't get it, and I'll be really, really honest with you. I don't like it. It's lousy. It stinks, comma, but I know this. He's got me here for such a time as this to redeem the time, to prune me, to refine me, to grow me as the process of sanctification, the process of refining is coming into my life. Now, what happens when you and I embrace that thought? When we embrace that, that God has brought that graciously into our lives, and His plan is so much bigger than ours, so much better than ours, there's going to be a joy, contentment, a peace for sure. That's why I want you to write down key number one in your notes. Write this down. Key number one. I may be afflicted and not have much materially. But if I have Jesus, and Jesus has me, I have everything. Let me say that again. I may be afflicted and not have much materially, but if I have Jesus, and Jesus has me, I have everything. Do you believe that, church? See, it's so amazing that when we have Jesus, we have everything, don't we? We don't need anything else. I was thinking through that thought and just meditating on that, and I made a note here. I said this, the lowly brother glories not according to his or her standing in the world, but according to their right standing in Christ. Think about that for a moment. That You and I, when we're lowly, maybe financially, uh, could be emotionally, could be just challenges in life, and you're just beaten down. We have right standing with Christ that doesn't compare anything whatsoever to any standing to the world. There's nothing you can get. The promotion, the perfect spouse, the perfect neighborhood, none of that will ever compare to the right standing in Christ that he gives through that song we just sang, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. It's better than the sailboat. 
It's better than that neighborhood you want to move into. That's the whole point of the proclamation of God's word, that it would go forth with such power that as we internalize it, as we take it in, we don't want the nonsense of the world. We don't want these cheap, hollow trains that are off the tracks. We don't want the stuff that looks so good and looks so appealing, but in the end, it's all a facade and a charade. No, we want to stand to our feet as the words proclaim and say, hey, that's the Jesus I want. That's the Christ I want to follow. And here James is saying, in essence, that. If you're lowly, don't focus on your circumstances. Focus on the King. If you don't have much, don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. Focus on who you do have. His name is Jesus. I love the thought of that paradox again when you think about that church of lowly, glory, lowly, exaltation, and high station in life. Isn't that so true how God works in and through us? You know, right now we're going through this pandemic, and I don't know if you've realized this or thought about this, but the greatest pandemic in the history of the world has been the pandemic of sin. Far worse than any virus that we can think of. It's the ultimate virus there is. And again, whether you're up or down, discouraged, encouraged in the midst of this pandemic, if you have Jesus and He has you, you have everything. Like there's nothing else you could really want in life. Proverbs chapter 16, write that down. Proverbs 16, just a great, great text. Proverbs 16 verse 19 says this, It is better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Did you catch that, church? It's better. It's better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Because God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. How about Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, verse 3. Write that down as well as a great supporting verse under this first key number 1. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, when we're proud and we say, look, I'm not going to go your way, God, and and I'm going to be boastful and I'm going to push against you and and have a stiff neck and and a stony hard heart. Here's what we're doing. We may be creating our own kingdom, but that kingdom will be crushed. The kingdom of God will last forever. That's why we want to be a people that prays, God, we want our kingdoms to be exterminated. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Now look at verse 10 for a moment here. Let's unpack that one together. So without hesitation, here James, he's going to pull this trigger even further. and He's going to contrast the lowly brother to the rich brother. Here's verse 10. But, he uses that word, but the rich in his humiliation. Again, look at the play on words there. Because as a flower of the field, he will, don't miss that, pass away. This rich is referring to abounding wealth, a great abundance, not having need, not having want. But then he says the word humiliation there. Look at that in your Bible, verse 10. But the rich, the one who has much, in his humiliation, again, not too far from the ground is what that means. There's a self-abasement, if you will, as he's facing his trial. See, this is the reality, church. And this can be so easy to do. I've done this before. And 
and perhaps you have as well, but have you ever fallen into the trap to play in the if I just game? You know, if, if I just had more money, if I just lived here, just married this person, just did this, just did that, it's a hopeless cul-de-sac, hamster wheel going nowhere, if I just, if I just, because we're looking for our hope, we're looking for our identity and our security in something outside of Christ. And Christ is the only one to have the true hope, the identity and security. He's it. There's nothing else. See, God is no respecter of persons, so you can be lowly, you can be destitute in complete poverty, and still have the greatest joy there is. I've preached overseas, and some of those people are the most joyful people I've ever been around. They'll walk two hours to get there. They'll sing for an hour. They'll listen to at least an hour sermon, praise Jesus. Then they'll walk two hours home, and they're the most joyful people. They have nothing. But so often what we have in our abundance and our wealth is a great distraction. As one person once said, comfort always leads to collapse. And here in the West, the United States, we got everything. The poorest of us live like kings, don't we? And we live like kings compared to the rest of the world. And so often we're just trying to fit Jesus in somewhere. Well, let me try to fit you in here or there, over here. And man, when you don't have much, you realize that Jesus is all you have. And you really begin to realize that Jesus is all you really need, amen? That's what happens. And so James is saying, look, whether you're lowly, whether you're rich, God's no respecter of persons. Neither one of these is going to get you into the kingdom. It's all about Christ and His glory, His praise. I made a note here, I pray that will speak to your heart about this humiliation here, this passing away. That passing away just means to be destroyed, to perish, literally. You know, so think through this, church. Look at verse 10 again in your Bible. But the rich, this one who has much in his humiliation, so he's been reduced, he's going through the trial, the struggle, low, high, here he is as well. Money doesn't insulate you. Wealth doesn't insulate you. You can't outbuy your way from pain. Can't do it. You know what happens if that rich man is trusting just in his riches and not in Jesus, he will pass away. Literally, he will be exterminated, perish. That's why the rich man, just like the lowly man, so the lowly man going to glory. Remember that glory and the exaltation? Hey, you got me here, God. May not like it, but I'm a glory. Rich man should also then, what? Glory, rejoice in its humiliation. He's going through a hard time too. And hey, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going his way, even though he's not going my way. I'm going to praise his name. That's why key number two, write it down in your notes there. Key number two, whether I am lowly or rich materially, I must be humble and dependent on God. Key number two, whether I am lowly or rich materially, I must be humble and dependent upon God. Think about this. So the rich here in this verse are going to rejoice in their abasement, in their being low, in their trial, in their affliction. And again, just work with me on this for a moment, church. Whether you're up or down materially, when you and I are able to praise God in our storm and it's real, not a facade, it's true, I mean, that will preach a thousand sermons to a lost and dying world. 
Because people are hurting, they're hungry. Everyone around you, the person in the cubicle next to you, the neighbor lives across the street, and that family member who you're distanced from, there are so many people that are hurting. Shattered, broken lives are everywhere. And they're looking for something. They're searching for something. What will dull my pain? What will fill my void? You and I know his name is Jesus. And as the world looks at us, I pray that we will be that living testimony, that living sermon, that the world will say, that's who I want. I want that Jesus who is called the Christ. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Can being rich be a hindrance to truly giving your life to Christ? Sure. A lot of things can be. Does it mean because you're rich, you're going to be hindered and you're not going to give your life to Christ? I don't think so. Uh, There's lots of folks that I know that God has blessed materially with wealth and they love Jesus. But the reality, it's going to be a struggle. There's just something that happens, and you guys know this because I know this in my own brokenness, that when I am down, when I'm in great need, God has my attention. What's amazing is that he's got my attention. It's like, okay, Lord, yeah, whatever you want, man, I'll move to Africa and live in a hut. Whatever you want me to do, I'll be on the next plane. But can we be honest for a moment? But when things are going really well, but we're cruising through life, isn't it amazing how it's amazing how that quiet time, that one morning, gets neglected, and that leads into a second morning, and before you know it, a week's gone by, and now we're into week two and month two, and boy, it's just so easy to forget who brought us to the mountain, isn't it? See, there's something so powerful about this, and that's why First Timothy, I want you to write this down, First Timothy 6.10, write this down. 1 Timothy 6.10, listen to what Paul pours into Timothy. So he's trying to raise up Timothy. He's that young disciple of Paul's, and he's pouring into him, and he says these words in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, now listen closely here. He goes on. It is through this craving. So, so picture this. So we've got the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's right there. It's, it's an opportunity for evil. But then he goes deeper. Paul drills down as he tightens the ratchet here. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Now, don't miss this last part. And they've pierced themselves with many pangs. Is that not a visual there? Is money going to lead someone away from the Lord? Not necessarily. Money could... But I pray that if you're wealthy, I pray you're living for Jesus like never before and using that material wealth to advance the gospel is the prayer. But Paul warns right there again, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. 
It's through this craving. And we crave it. And we lust for it. We hunger for it. Got to have this. It's like Rockefeller said one time when they asked him about how much money is enough. And he replied something to the effect of just a little bit more. So we crave it. It's never satisfied, is it? Never satisfied. Just got to have more. No matter how much I got, I, I want more, I want more. Wouldn't it be amazing if we took that same approach to the Lord? I just want more of you. Like, I, I can't get enough of you. Man, just, Jesus, just right here in me today, just all over me, just all over me today, Lord. Imagine how our lives would be different. How about again in 1 Timothy, write this one down as another supporting verse under key two. Uh, chapter six, again, 17 through 19 this time, so... So again, Paul's really just uh, tightening the screws here in this chapter, 1 Timothy 6. And he says these words in 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them. So he's telling Timothy what to do. Charge them not to be haughty, uh, not to be boastful and prideful in their wealth, nor to set their hopes, don't miss that, on the uncertainty of riches. We don't think about that often, do we? We just think if I just... Well, if I just had more, I would finally have certainty. No, 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 no. Uh, riches are like a house out of popsicle sticks. And sooner or later, they're going to come crashing down if that's where our hope is. And then he says this, the hope is not on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Don't miss that. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Isn't that so true? It's God. He's the giver, the sustainer of life. Look at 18 of that same text. There to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up, don't miss this church, treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Did you catch that last part? That they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul saying here to Timothy, riches aren't true life. Jesus is true life. If you got Jesus, you got everything. And yet that's the reality, that key number two. Again, whether I am lowly or rich materially, I must be humble and dependent upon God. Well, how about our last verse here, verse 11? Here it is, verse 11. And again, if James wasn't direct enough, here he goes again. And just uh, tightening down even more. Verse 11, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat, then it withers the grass. Now get the picture that's being painted here. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Did you see that? Basically, here's a summation, the cliff notes on this verse. Trusting in riches will not last and it will lead to your demise. Bottom line. This is a clear reference here. This is a very clear reference. Write this down to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. Listen to this reference as we painted the picture. But look at the reference here from Old Testament Isaiah 40, 6 through 8. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Verse 7, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Now look at verse 8, one of my favorites. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Don't you love that? No matter what's going on in your life today, take this to the bank because this check will cash. Here's the deal, that the word of God will stand forever. 
Uh, we're here today and gone tomorrow. Life is but a vapor. The flower, it blooms and then it dies. We know this, the Word of God will stand forever. That's why we're so passionate about truth at this church. We're not looking for self-help. Uh, we're not looking to consult Dr. Phil, Oprah, or Dear Abby. No, we're looking for the truth of God's Word because we know it's the truth of God's Word that will set us free. And here in this glorious text, I love that the rich man, it shows very clearly, the rich man, don't miss this, if he is void of Christ, just like the lowly man, by the way, but here in this context, if the rich man is trusting in his riches and not in the Savior, here's what's going to happen. It says this, he, he will fade away. He, right there it is, he will fade away. He will what? He will literally come to a miserable end. That's what that means there in the original language. He will come to a miserable end as he's extinguished, as he's pursuing these pursuits that aren't of the Lord. It's all selfish gain. It's all, what can I get? It's all just building up idol after idol. But here's the flip on this. Even if we're lowly, we can build up a storehouse of idols as well. We can begin to look for the wealth and say, boy, if I just get this, we can even go a different direction, and we're so miserable in being lowly that those things can become security blankets and be idols of themselves. That's why this is so critical, church, that we understand that the rich man will. He will perish if he does not have the Lord in his life and if the Lord is not his boss and master. I was thinking through that concept, and in both verse 10 and 11, when you look at there in your Bible, you see this perishing, this dying, this passing away. And it made me think, I was processing this in preparation, and I thought about this earlier. Think about this thought with me. When we stand before Christ and judgment on that day, is the Lord going to punish my sin or punish me if I'm not under His blood? He's not going to punish the sin He's going to punish the one who's not under his blood. See, the rich man, did you catch this? It didn't say that the rich man's riches will pass away. It said the rich man will pass away. Do you see how critical this is? That if we are not tied into the Lord, we have nothing. And that's why key number three explains this prayerfully well. Here it is, key number three. Write it down in your notes. If I have much in this earthly life, but do not have Jesus, and Jesus does not have me, I have nothing. Just the opposite of our key number one. If I have everything, not the lowly brother, but now I'm the rich brother. If I have everything, if I have all my little G gods that are propping me up, and so often those are the most difficult people to win to Christ. You might go to a wealthy area in your community and if you were to knock on doors, if they answered the door, if that would happen, and you say, hey, I'm from XYZ Church, and we're just sharing the love of Christ, and perhaps they might say, hey, why do I need your Jesus? Look what I live in. Look what I drive. Look at my bank account. I don't need a crutch. And yet Jesus Christ is not a crutch, He's the one that we literally fall into. We just don't like get carried around by Him. No, no, He literally just sustains us through life. 
Oh, he's more than a crutch. He's our everything. He's our hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Think about this. In those two verses there, here's what you saw. The rich man, he's passing away. He's withering. He's falling and he's perishing if he doesn't have Christ. So here's the deal. I want you to write down Deuteronomy. Write this down under that key number three that we just read. And again, key number three. If I have much in this earthly life, but do not have Jesus, and Jesus does not have me, I have nothing. So here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, write that down, Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 20. And as I prepare to read this great warning, there's a great warning here. There's warning bells everywhere in Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 20. I want to explain something just very briefly here, this comment that I've made about Jesus and having Him and He having me. You know, so often I've heard over the years that, you know, I've, I've accepted the Lord. That's a good thing. Praise the Lord. I pray it's real. I pray it's true. But the real, real divider on that, the real exposure of, of that being a true conversion is, does Jesus have us? Just not accepting Him and just, hey, okay, I'll take you, whatever, intellectually, whatever. No, no, there's a transfer of trust is what we call it, that, that as He comes into our life, we give Him our lives. We just give it away. We go, I see clearly, finally, I'm, I'm walking in truth. I've been unlocked from the prison cell that I've been in. I finally get a, a walk in holiness and, and glory in you, oh God, and you've set the captive free. Because, yes, I have you but you have me. See, it's so important that we understand this church because as we look at that Deuteronomy 8, this commentator said this, and this is what one commentator said, the riches of this world will certainly fade away. But James says that the rich man also will fade away. If we put our life and our identity into things that fade away, we will fade away also. This Deuteronomy text is so critical because the question is not this, is it sinful to have wealth? The real question is, does the wealth have you? That's the real question. And Deuteronomy 8 says this, here it is, 17 through 20. Beware. Anytime in Scripture you see the word beware, listen up. Kind of like that Beware of dog, right? Beware of dog that you're walking down the, the sidewalk and you, know, you have your kids in the stroller and you're just kind of going down the sidewalk and you see beware of dog. And what do you typically do when you, you hear the dog and it's scratching on the other side of the fence? You see the sign. What do you do? Well, well you don't pick up your kids and throw them over the fence, right? That would not be good. No, what do you do? Man, you, you hightail it out of there. You beware. You, you flee. You, you run. You, you don't go towards the issue. You don't go towards the calamity or the trial or the trouble. You run from it. Beware, Deuteronomy says, 8, 17 through 20. Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, verse 18, for it is He who gives the power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Now look at verse 19. 
And if you forget, here's the warning, 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 warning. Here it is, verse 19. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other little g-gods and you serve them and worship them, here's what's going to happen. I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like he didn't say you will perish. He's like, you surely will perish. Emphasis there. Verse 20, like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so now you shall perish. Why? Here's the why. Don't miss this, church. Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Did you catch that? I've heard people say obedience is not required. Really? Really? Have you read your Bible? Salvation is free. Amen, amen, amen. But as Bonhoeffer said, discipleship will cost you your life. In obedience, walking in that, pursuing Christ, becoming more like Him, having the mind of Christ is mission critical. I believe this is a warning upon warning right here in Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 20. And I believe the United States of America could fit into this, that we've so often just thumbed our nose at God. Yeah, whatever, God. And like right now, He's got our attention, doesn't He? He's closed everything down. We're listening, God. Okay, what do you want us to do? Boy, I pray, I pray that in the midst of this difficult time, this virus, I pray that our hearts are being prepared and pruned. We're repenting. And I pray that when this is prayerfully over, I pray there will be a revival and an awakening and a reformation like never before. I'm actually praying for the next great awakening is what I'm praying for. I'm praying for some believers of Jesus Christ all across this country to band together and say, they're no longer on my watch. Whether I'm lowly or rich, it doesn't matter. Jesus is the one that makes me rich. I'm going to trust Him and go His way. Even if He's not going my way, I'm going to go His way. And obey Him with love and mercy and grace. In the end, you think about it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? What will it profit? What will it profit a man, that, that profit, that gaining, if he forfeits, gives away his soul? Of course, Nothing. That's why the takeaway question, here it is, takeaway question. Ask yourself this and just be honest as I ask myself. Takeaway question. Am I stewarding what God has entrusted to me as His manager to further His kingdom or my own kingdom? Let me say that again. Am I stewarding, we're stewards, we're managers, of what God has entrusted to us, to me, as his manager, to further his kingdom or my own kingdom? See, who or what we turn to during the storms of life is the great revealer, the great exposer of who or what we're really trusting in. Are we clinging to wealth and riches of this life as our security? It's going to fade away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Chasing after riches is like chasing after the wind. But you never find it. You can't get it, can you? You're just chasing for it. God says, chase after me. And that's why the action step is simply this. Here's the action step. I will freely give what God has loaned me to advance the gospel here in our Jerusalem and to the utter ends of the earth. Let me say that again. Action step. I will freely give what God has loaned to me to advance the gospel here in our Jerusalem and to the utter ends. Now we're starting our Jerusalem and we're working out, right? 
Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, utter ends of the earth, man. We're aimed at taking the gospel to the streets here and all across the world. And yet the question is, imagine if you had a million dollars. What if you had a million dollars in the bank? Maybe you do. I don't. But what if you had a million dollars in the bank? And what if right now Jesus returns? If he returns right now, and you got a million dollars in your bank account just sitting there doing nothing for his glory, for his kingdom, what do you think he might say? What would he say? I don't want to be in that situation. And yet the reality is that as we hoard more, and we do that from time to time, don't we? We just hoard more. We hoard more for ourselves. Have you thought about this? The more we hoard, often the more miserable and more discontent we actually become. It works against us, doesn't it? See, in this quest for comfort, we were often tricked and completely missed God's goal of holiness and discipleship and evangelism for our lives. We end up duping ourselves again into jumping in this hollow off-the-rails runaway train that will leave us more empty than we started. That's why George Whitfield said it like this, the great evangelist. He said, all trials are for two purposes. Don't miss this. All trials are for two purposes, that we may be better acquainted with our own wicked hearts, number one, and that we may be better acquainted with our own beloved Savior. So think about this, church. The three recaps. Here it is, key number one. I may be afflicted and not have much materially, but if I have Jesus and Jesus has me, I have everything. Key number two, whether I'm lowly or rich materially, I must be humble and dependent on God. And lastly, number three, if I have much in this earthly life but do not have Jesus and Jesus does not have me, I have nothing. Have you ever, ever talked to someone about good news? Maybe you know someone who got a promotion. And your response was, hey, that's good news. If you really liked them, maybe you said, hey, that's great news. Think about this for a moment. It can only be good news if there's the potential for bad news. Otherwise, when they say, hey, I got a promotion, you just said, hey, that's news. No, you said that's good news because there was a possibility they wouldn't get the promotion and that would have been bad news in their world. See, the gospel is called what? The good news. Do you understand this church that the reason it's called the good news is because there's some really bad news. The separation from God eternally and I pray if that's you today, you don't know Jesus, you've never given your life to Him, you've, you've never transferred that trust, and He's not in your life, and you've never given your life back to Him, I pray today will be the day of salvation, because there's really good news. There's awesome news. It's incredible news. And His name is Jesus. Whether you're up or down, rich or poor, the solution to your life is not more in this life. The solution is Jesus. Who will you turn to today? We only have one shot at this church. We only got one shot at this life. One shot. Once this life is over, it's over. So what will you do right now with this Jesus who is called the Christ? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. and Father, as we just lift up our hearts and ask you to open our hearts, we open them right now. God, we just rip our hearts open. We invade our lives like never before. I pray right now for that 
that wayward husband? Will you move in his life right now? That wayward wife? Will you move in her life right now? That wayward student or child, will you move in their lives right now? Will you set the captives free? Remove the blinders and the scales, and I pray they will throw themselves on to the mercy of your bench as they run to the cross of Jesus Christ like never before. God, I just pray in this time of decision, of meditation, of reflection, I pray our heart's cry will not be that I surrender some. I think we're really good at that in America. We're more than happy to surrender some. There's no pain in the offering. It's really easy to have Jesus as a sideshow. Just on the fringe. Just our personal assistant. And we can dial up anytime for room service. Bring me a fluffier towel. Put mints on my pillow. And we've totally lost the point of who Jesus is. Gotta pray, will you just stir right now? Stir. Word of God, would you stir? Challenge us, strengthen us, motivate us. Prepare us for post COVID 19. As we prepare to hit the streets with the holy awe and wonder of your story, the good news. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.